family, and welcome back to Love and Grit. My name is Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. And welcome to a special Philly sports edition of Love and Grit. Today, we talk to two of our favorite folks from the local sports scene whose voices go far beyond. Tom McCarthy, of course, the voice of the Phillies, will join us to speak on life in and out of Citizens Bank Park. Also, Jasmine Smith, the sister who is leading the charge to diversify field hockey and lacrosse, will update us on how her girls are staying active on the field and in the community. So, let the games begin with our Philly Faves lightning round. I need you, Justin, and Rachel to harness all your Philly sports spirit and tell me the opposing team you love to hate. Yes, who is your top Philly sports nemesis? So let's just take off the table the Dallas Cowboys. No, no, but that's what I was going to say. And don't say it's funny. How do you get to decide? I'm just just saying that like, that's the obvious choice. Well, can I just say the reason that I made the Cowboys my choice is because um, I'm born in DC and bred in Philly and both cities can't stand Yeah, both hate them. That's a deep, that's a deep hatred. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel, go ahead. Well, first of all, I love everybody, so. Oh, here she go. Well, it's true. Um, but if you were making me choose, I'm going to say when the Eagles won the um, Super Bowl. So I'm going to go with the Patriots. That was an amazing show of Philadelphia's strength. Mine is deep in time. 1993, Joe Carter and the Toronto Blue Jays. He hit a walk-off home run to beat the 93 Phils in the World Series. It just changed my life. Like I was like, I can't believe we were this close and we lost. So that's my deep rooted. Wow, you love sports. He is, he is like traumatized. Like, <laughs> we had a moment. That wasn't a lightning round. That was a moment. <laughs> you bring it back like early Mary Lou Retton feelings for me. I'm like, yeah, with Mary Lou Retton at the Olympics and she won. I just. Oh, the sharing circle. That's what we're going to call this from now on. <laughs> And speaking of baseball, which of course seems like Justin's favorite sport, everybody's talking sports, especially with the anticipation of a comeback. So eyes are really on baseball, which is first up to bat, like for real. So let's check in with the man who knows everything about the Phillies because he is the voice. He is Tom McCarthy. So Tom, the season should be beginning soon. What's it been like just waiting for some sort of answer of what was going to come? It's a great question. I, I think that we've had stops and starts over the last three months where we, when I left spring training, I thought, ah, we're just going to be gone for two weeks. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we all thought maybe we'd be shut down for two weeks. We never thought we'd be shut down for three and a half months. There's been some anxiety just trying to figure out the whole schedule. Would we be able to go? And then you throw in the fact that they were negotiating so long. It really seemed like basketball and hockey kind of had everything all together. But the difference is, is that they're, they're playing the end of their year. We haven't started our year. So the negotiations were a little more difficult. So that was a little nerve wracking, you know, and I have a son who plays professional baseball and coupled with our season, his season was canceled. So his team is not playing, but his league has six teams that are playing, but his team is not one of them. It's, it's really strange. And then I have another son who's our AAA broadcaster and he's got nothing. So that was kind of hard, you know, just trying to figure it all out. But as you guys all know, I mean, we've all had different speed bumps that we've hit over these last three and a half months. And mm. if ever you have to just roll with things when it comes to this stuff, now is the time you kind of just got to roll with it and say, okay, let's move on to the next thing. So what happens with spring training and what does that whole setup look like now, you know, taking another pivot? 
So the the team has been up to what they're calling summer camp. That's what MLB's calling it. <laughs> it's basically spring training 2.0. And that's happening at Citizens Bank Park, but it's also happening happening at FDR Park. We have two fields at FDR Park. One used to be Villanova's old baseball field. They have a new facility. And the other one is our Urban Youth Academy field, which is absolutely gorgeous. They're basically having spring training in preparation for the start of the new year, which will be July 23rd or 24th, depending on which team you are, here in Philadelphia. The only problem is that no fans can see it. Obviously. That's what I was going to ask. I was like, is, can you let's let like 10 people in a day? Because like, how often do they get to see spring training at home? Yeah, not yet. It would be great if they, they could, but the media is allowed there to video some of it, really no conversations with players. Mm. A lot of it's going to be through Zoom, like we've all kind of learned how to use. It's part of our vernacular. And quickly, yeah. we actually had Zoom in our office just a couple months before, and we're like, what is this all about? All these cameras and I'm stuff like it. this. Yeah, the sad part is none of us invested. I was like, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, is it basically all the players are getting tested? Because I'm just thinking to myself, even when you're running towards base and you got to be tagged, I mean, that's like contact. So everybody is just being tested on the daily? Not daily, but enough to adhere to the CDC guidelines uh, and Major League Baseball's guidelines. There's a booklet that Major League Baseball sent out to all teams and all players. It's 113 pages in length, and it sort of outlines everything that players and coaches and, um, and front office staff goes through in order to be part of this. So there are three tiers. Tier one is the players and all clubhouse staff. Tier two are a number of front office people and also clubhouse staff. So they have access to the clubhouse. And then tier three, which is what we are as broadcasters and members of the media. We have no access to the clubhouse. We have no access to the players except through Zoom. So when we get to the ballpark each day, when the season does get underway, our temperature is taken and we have to fill out a questionnaire each day letting them know whether we've been feverish, we've had a cold, anything exposed to anybody that has COVID-19. The players will be tested periodically, and so will the folks in the front office that are part of Tier 1 and Tier 2. Before spring training or summer camp began, everybody was tested that was going to be within reach of the players, including the players. But masks have to be worn at the ballpark, not necessarily when we broadcast games, but when we enter the, the stadium and when we're sitting in the booth getting ready for the games themselves. That's got to change the way you do the job to tell the story of the team. Yeah, no doubt. It's sort of the unknown. We just have to get used to it. And communication will be done through Zoom. You know, fortunately, we have a really good group of guys. So I've been able to keep in contact with a lot of them during this the quarantine, just exchanging text messages and things like that. And I'm sure I'll be able to do that from time to time. I mean, I won't abuse it because they obviously have a job to do too, but we'll have an ability to Zoom with guys from time to time, including our manager, which is really one of the most important features is getting a chance to talk to him on a daily basis. So you have a great rapport, I would assume, with so many of the players. Who do you think is the funniest on the team or who do you think are the you know most vocal leaders for the team? Well, that's a good question. I was on a Zoom with Jimmy Rollins the other day, and that was the same question that he was asked. Who was the funniest guy in the 2008 team? And for years, they said it was Carlos Ruiz, which is weird because he speaks such broken English that sometimes you wonder if it would be lost in translation. But they said that he was one of the funnier guys on the team here. That was a team of personal personalities. That was such a special time in my life, yeah. you know, and for so many of us, because the city was so starved for a yeah, championship. I, and that group was like, yeah. so special. 
they were and and that group i'm really i was really close with this group it's a really good question because leadership wise it's more an individual there's not one guy that stands out that is the ultimate leader of this team i would think that andrew mccutcheon is not only one of the more entertaining people if you follow him on instagram it's really funny some of the stuff he does the other one is hector naris he's the sweetest guy in the world but he is funny to talk to and he just busts your chops all the time in a really good way. But from a leadership standpoint, I would honestly have to say that this group has different quadrants of leadership, if that makes any sense. It's not one guy. And I think that's part of this generation more than anything else. But I think for this group, there's one guy that's in charge that's the leader of the bullpen, that's Hector Neris. There's one guy that's in charge of the starting staff, that's Jake Arrieta. You know know what I'm saying? So it's different quadrants that are sort of in charge of things. But that's a good thing, especially because if things are changing and as of right now, you don't have fans watching, at least not live there in person, you need people to be able to, you know, hey guys, like rally the troops basically and keep it going. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's going to be, people ask me about the the 60 game season, you know, they they ask about how it's going to play out. Is there going to be an asterisk next to it? Because it's only 60 games. I think it's the most important 60 games that anybody in baseball has had in a long time for a lot of reasons. Obviously the pandemic is one thing, but all of the other social issues that have gone on over the last month or so, I think they're going to be brought to the light a little bit more from a sports standpoint. And I think Mm -hmm. that's important. And I think just to kind of get everybody to have something to watch, listen to, and just be attached to, because all we've done is, I know this is my house, you know, we, we've watched the news, we've talked about the pandemic, uh, we've understood how important it is to, to do social distancing. There's different terms that we've learned over the last few years, but over the last few months, but I think that- It feels like a few years. It does feel like a few yeah. years. But I, but I know for myself, you know, I've never watched NASCAR before. I watched NASCAR. Oh, yeah. I watch golf and I've watched it a lot. I watched women's soccer last weekend. I don't watch soccer. Right. I watched the women's soccer because that was their first weekend of games on CBS. So I watched it because I was looking for something live that I could attach myself to. So I think for baseball, basketball, and hockey, this next month is really important. I'm curious, Tom, do you have counterparts that you guys talk to? Like, do you have other announcers like in the best, like the Sixers announcer, you know, in the Eagles, do you guys talk and talk about this like time and how things are different? Yeah, Ala Abdelnabi, who's the Sixers analyst on television is one of my closest friends. Uh, He and I worked together for a long time on CBS. We've talked a lot over the last three months. He's also really good to talk to about different things politically and Mm. just in the news. Plus, if you want to talk soccer, he's a really big Manchester United fan. So you can bust his chops about the fact that they lost their Premier League championship uh, a week or so ago. So that's kind of fun. But yeah, we and and we have this radio roundtable that we have every week with our broadcasters. So Jim Jackson, who does the hockey, is also our pre and post game host. So he's on that. So we kind of keep in contact through that in a lot of ways. And we're all kind of going through the same kind of thing. Withdrawal, Mm -hmm but also sometimes boredom and just trying to be as creative as possible to keep baseball in the news. Yo, have, they you were... ever... Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> have you ever called a game without fans? That's what I'm going to ask. Yeah, I have. Uh, well, we've done a couple simulated games during the course of this quarantine where we called video games, which is the weirdest thing in the world. But I've also called the Caribbean series on the MLB network. It was the first live event that was on the MLB network some years ago. And we did it from the studios in Secaucus, even though the World Series was in Mexico. You won't go on the road. You will call the away games from Citizens Bank Park. Yeah, that is going to be weird. He wants to give you a soundtrack or 
something in the background. Like, I think they're going to play crowd noise in our, yeah. Yeah, um, to keep your energy as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm really loud. I'm really loud. <laughs> it's not that I try to be, it's just that I talk really loud. So I understand. They're going to hear us in the booth, I mean, on the field. There's just no way. Wait, that's funny. I'm sorry. Wait, I just really had to picture that because this is going to be the first time they can really hear you because there's no fans. They're going to hear us. If I'm always throwing the shade. Right? Goes again. I'm going to try, I'm gonna try, try to be... Uh, well, you have to do it the way you normally do it, so it's going to be loud. What okay. should we, like, as fans, how should we prepare for the season to start? You know, I, I think uh, from a fan standpoint, it's going to look weird that there's nobody in the stands. I mean, it is. And, you know, they've talked about putting cutouts of people in the stands. I don't know how that's going to look. People say it's crazy to do that. Again, I always tell people, who cares? If they want to yeah. do it, let them do it. You know, the folks in Asia, they put stuffed animals in there, <laughs> which is kind that of- That sounds right. Yeah. To me, I think that's the only part that's going to look weird. It might look weird that there's no high-fiving, I think it's like anything else. We're just going to get used to it. Yeah. For us, it'll probably take two days and we'll get used to calling it without anybody there. And, and the adjustments we've made over this period of time no anyway, you know, we've all had to be innovative. We talked about that earlier with, you know, taking Zoom calls and what does your background look like yeah. outside versus inside. But the same is true where you use your iPad more, you may use your phone more. So maybe you're using those devices, but you're outside, you know, at a park or you're on a trail and you're, you know, grabbing a bite to eat or you're at an outdoor establishment where you can have something to drink and you call it a day and you watch right there on your device. You know, you, you find new ways to do it. People are going to be so happy to have live entertainment. I, I think mm -hmm. so, too. I, yeah. I think that people always say the new norm, the new this. I, I mean, it's, it is. It's going to be different. Everybody acknowledges that. It's going to be 20% different, 30% different, but there's still going to be a lot of it that is going to be exactly the same as what you're used to seeing. The only, one of the things that they've talked about, and they're not, they're probably not going to do it this year, but there's going to be the opportunity to mic players so you can have conversations with- Dangerous. Dangerous. But it's fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's new rules that they'll have implemented this year, including a designated hitter instead of the pitcher hitting. So I'm not a fan of that. But you know what? It is what it is. It's baseball. And I think we'll get used to whatever is happening on the field. It's just going to be nice to have it in the background. So are you hearing of anything like new technology that um, sports teams may be using or even the Phillies to help with some of these practices, gauging temperatures or just to alert folks like, hey, watch your distance? Do, are, yeah. do you know anything about that? Yeah. So, so from a baseball standpoint, a lot of it's landscape. So the dugout is is the normal size dugout, but they're stretching it. We have camera wells next to the dugout where camera operators usually are or still photographers usually are. They will not be there. They're going to be down the right field line and the left field line. So that'll be the shot you'll see. So that will extend the dugout even longer. There are going to be more coaches there to say, hey, separate. All things we may not have thought about in our daily life, but we probably have tried to do over the last three months to make sure that, you know, there's a gentleman in the grocery store that we're six feet away from. Well, there's another player that you have to be six feet away from. So our workout facility, it's beautiful. It's attached to the clubhouse. Well, they're going to have not only a workout facility there, but they're also going to have different workout facilities on the concourse. So let's say three players can go in the clubhouse to do their workouts and then three can go on one part of the concourse three can go on the other part of the concourse so they're sort of separate remind us tom how many on a, t a baseball team again? well so there's 30 to start this year but they have an ability to travel to to have 60 so 30 <sighs> to play 
and then 30 are on sort of a taxi squad. The Phillies Where are they coming have, from if they're not playing AAA ball? So they're going to be coming from everywhere. You're going to see players that were in AA before that are top prospects that are probably going to be part of the taxi squad. And it's twofold. They want them to continue to work out, but they also, in a short spurt, might want to utilize them for a four- or five-game series. So once the season starts, the extra players will go to Lehigh Valley to Coca-Cola Park, and that's where they will train unless the Phillies need them. So are there any players expected uh, to sit out this year on the Phillies? You may see guys that are on the quote-unquote COVID list. So they've either tested positive for COVID-19 or they've been exposed to somebody that's tested positive. So they will be put on a list. It's kind of like the disabled list where they have to test negative twice before they can come back and rejoin the team. There are a handful of major league players from other teams, Ian Desmond from the Rockies, Ryan Zimmerman and Joe Ross from the Nationals, and Mike Leak, who's a pitcher for the Diamondbacks, that have decided they do not want to play. To me, if they don't want to play, I think that we all have to be accepting of everybody. Yeah, yeah. Because they're like Ryan Zimmerman, who plays for the Nationals, wonderful player. His mom cannot be exposed to COVID-19 because she has illnesses that would cause her harm if she had this virus. So he's decided not to play because he doesn't want to expose wow. our, his kids. Because that's a lot of trust. He has to trust at least 30 people. It's probably more than that because of the staff that travels with him. But you're right. right. See, I don't, I don't blame them for doing it. You know, financially, if he can do it, it's totally up to him. And I think that through all of this, we have to let people do what they feel most comfortable with. We can't mm-hmm. judge anybody if they don't feel comfortable being around this atmosphere right now then it's okay yeah we move on how do you think this team's gonna do yeah it's great that's the the other question is are they going to be competitive i think they will be i think offensively they're fine i think that their pitching needs to be able to match the pitching of the braves which i think is probably the toughest team in the division the nationals who are the defending world champions uh and the mets are going to be good too so i think it all depends on their pitching i like this group and i'm excited for it because i do think that they have a chance to make the postseason which is it's been a long drought so it'd be nice to get into the postseason and, and maybe at that point we keep our fingers crossed maybe some fans can get into the stadium to watch the postseason games tom when you think of love and grit the name of the podcast what comes to mind when you think about our region i think the love for if you're talking from a sports standpoint for your teams uh, there's no doubt about that but there's always a grit from the city of philadelphia and from the delaware valley that i don't think is matched by anybody around the country. I mean, there's a grit not only to live your daily life from a work standpoint, but also from a family standpoint. There's a lot to live up to when you work in the city of Philadelphia because there's a passion and there's an energy that it's really difficult to duplicate anywhere else I go. We'll be watching and listening because we have nothing else to do and it's something to look forward to. Enjoy it. All right, thanks guys. For the last 18 years, Jasmine Smith has been the go-to person for black and brown girls to not only find their way, but to excel in the fields of lacrosse and field hockey. Icons Lacrosse and Field Hockey is not just a household name amongst Philly parents wanting to explore something different for their children. It is also recognized globally as a leader and disruptor in non-traditional sports. So please meet Madam Disruptor, AKA Jasmine Smith, or as her girls call her, Coach Jazz. So it's ages five through 19. We have 14 
schools that we're currently in, in the Philadelphia area where we program out of. So we do academic support. So we go in schools, we start field hacking lacrosse teams, and then we have a tutoring establishment as well. So the girls are academically supported to make sure that when they do get scouted, that they're on the same timeline as their peers because they've caught up both academically and sports-wise. So we're really making sure that they're prepared. Because once we get them involved in a sport, I've had girls that I have helped get into college with playing less than a year and a half because of their athletic ability. We have 28 girls to date that have gone off to college to play field hockey and lacrosse from division one to division three. Wow. But there has been a lot of pushback with Mm -hmm. regards to our program. Unfortunately, we have not been fully supported. There has been systematic racism. What happens when those girls, those young ladies, you know, get off the bus, team bus, and you know, they walk in and that experience isn't always sunshine and roses. I know Mm -hmm. that. We had an incident last year where we were at one of our home fields at 33rd and Diamond. The opposing team was losing and the parents were not happy. Mm -hmm. And it looked like a revolt from 1960 with the integration of Brown versus education. Wow. And the father was screaming profusely at the referee while the game was going on. And then he charged the field towards the referee and then towards the players and then another father followed him. And so because of our curriculum, our girls knew what to do. What do you teach them how to handle so, it? So icons is based on how I was raised. That's how I formed the whole curriculum. We teach our girls African comedic history, Hispanic history. We teach them I am affirmations. So before they even get onto the field, there's a long mirror that you like have in your bedroom and they all have to be single file and they have to walk up to the mirror and they have to state their full name and do I am affirmations before they can get on our field. You're going to make me cry. I love you so much, Jazz. I just... I appreciate it. And we do that because it gives us a sense of how much work we have to do before they get onto the field to actually compete. Mm -hmm. Parents are always confused. They're like, well, what is the mirror doing out here? And I'm like, we have to be mindful about who they are. But they also have to know who they are because in the event someone calls them out their name, yes, that mirror has never lied to you. So mm-hmm. you got to know who you are. Mm-hmm. So that way it doesn't measure you. It doesn't bother you. You're not jilted by, you know, anything that's happening. So we do that. And then we have a program with Whole Foods, Trader Joe's and Aldi's where we re-educate the girls how to eat properly. So in the middle of practice, we get them in a big circle and we put the food in the middle and the girls then start passing out the food. And this is based upon African community in terms of eating. So again, we're reestablishing how to be a community-based sisterhood. And there's a couple other initiatives that we do, but based upon what we taught them, they weren't shook. It was life-changing for them because then they got a taste of some of the things that we have talked about but then they advocated for themselves with the league. They mandated change. That's impressive. It's unbelievable because you're touching so many lives Mm. and so many more can use this kind of inspiration to feel better about themselves and be respectful of each other. Are there jazzes all around the country? With leagues? Yeah, like how do we replicate you? (laughs) 
Well, we actually are expanding. We were supposed to be expanding into Orlando and LA this spring, but due to COVID, we had to put that on pause. So prayerfully in 2021, we'll be able to recapture that. And that's our whole mission. We want to be in as many urban communities as possible to grow the sport. And then we have an international piece where we're working with the Department of State building teams in Africa in India. So can we zoom like 10,000 feet out? Can you tell us your Philly story and how this all started? Oh, of course, of course. So I was born in North Philly in 77. I'll tell my age, I'm not afraid of it. And around 1980, my mom got diagnosed with MS. And then right after that, she lost her eyesight. Both me and my mother moved out to the suburbs, to the main line in Radnor Township with my grandparents so they could be her caregiver and my guardian. The one thing I loved about growing up with my grandparents is that they were from the South, even though they lived up North. So a lot of the disciplines of community, family, love, really kind of they imputed that into my life. So I was basically raised in Radnor. My grandfather is from South Carolina. He's Geechee Gullah. I don't oh, know if you guys too. are. Hey, sorry, my grandmother was a Geechee. Yes. yes. Yeah, that, he nicknamed me Geechee when I was seven years old. And so Geechee Gullah people, they love outdoors. For him, it made sense to move out where he could be outside and just have the luxuries of the life that he wanted. And so by way, growing up in Radnor, the one thing that my grandfather really imposed from the Geechee Gullah environment, he was like, you're not going to be this disconnected Black girl that's raised in an affluent area that is predominantly white. So you're going to get the best education, but you're going to be in North Philly and West Philly and Mount Airy with the rest of your family on the weekends if you don't have games or parties and whatnot. So I literally felt like I was bust. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I would be, you know, at school with my friends and then I would be with my family on the weekends because he never wanted me to be typically what happens is like you think that you're better based upon your mm-hmm. demographic. Or and disconnect. He, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He never wanted me to be disconnected. So it mm-hmm. was like Church 24-7, family 24-7, you know, all that good stuff. So around seven years old, my grandma picked me up from elementary school. We got to another park and I see all my friends that I played with for years. I'm like, why are we here? Like, cause I know that they play field hockey, but like, why am I here? She gets out the car, she gets in the trunk, she pulls out a field hockey stick. She walks me to the field and my friends are running up like, oh, Jasmine, you're here. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And she's like, I'll see you in about an hour. I just remember bawling, crying. (laughs) I I didn't want to play. One, I was the only girl of color. And two, I had never played field hockey before. I had seen the stick again, you know, at my friend's houses. But for me, it was a culture shock. And for two weeks, I cried every practice. No exaggeration. Until one day, a coach came to me. Her name was Sam. And she said, why don't we just try? Your athletic ability is amazing. And if you just give it an opportunity, she said, I swear you're going to love it. So I listened to her. And then from that day, you couldn't tell me that I wasn't going to play field hockey for the rest of my life. And then additionally, basketball and then came lacrosse. So that's how I got introduced to playing field hockey and lacrosse through my grandmother, 
by way, a woman who had never played field hockey a day in her life. <laughs> Can you kind of explain, because I think a lot of people, and through our conversations, I've learned a lot about non-traditional sports and city living versus suburb living and why there's such a disconnect. Most people don't even under, don't get why they don't see more people of color in these sports. I think because of the access. If I hadn't grown up in my community, I probably wouldn't have been exposed. I know that there are pockets of areas of Philadelphia that have exposure, but those are more the magnet schools. So when you go into the other urban areas, unfortunately, you don't find these non-traditional sports. So because of my zip code, it gave me a level of access. And those are divides that continue to exist, the digital divide. But a lot of times people don't always think about when it comes to just the structure of a school. And so not only the class sizes, but the design, whether or not you have a football field, a lacrosse field, uh, you know, tennis courts, a swimming pool. Right. So if you don't even have... All the equipment itself is expensive. And a lot of schools in the burbs, you have to have that registration fee as a student to participate and there's so many other things that are involved that a lot of times people think it's simply oh it's they're not interested as opposed to being exposed to it what is the typical cost for a kid to play these kind of sports the average club lacrosse program or field hockey program for six to eight weeks is between 1500 to 3500 per child okay and that's with equipment and everything no Oh, that's for registration for that league program. Oh. So equipment itself, like most lacrosse or field hockey sticks run you between the lesser grade would be like $60. Mm. The higher end would be like $200, $300. And then there's and uniforms. I mean, there's are just... you playing? So then that... Right, goalies. Goalies, goalies always... Oh, that's in the thousands. First of all, why did you decide that this needed to happen? You need to circle back because I know you have worked for Kobe Bryant and his organization and did other things in your life and yeah. been in marketing, but why circle back and do this? So I worked for Kobe for a couple of years. He used to always joke with me. He went to Laura Marion, I went to Radnor, and his yeah. two sisters are my close friends. He used to be like, you're 6'1", who plays field hockey? It's always <laughs> that Radnor stuff. Like that was always the joke behind. <laughs> but there was one personal conversation. Um, my mom, MS kind of like, there was concerns. I put it like that. And I knew that I needed to be back home to make that decision for her and my grandmother, who was her caretaker. And he said to me, he said, why don't you go back and do some coaching? So thought about it and then created icons with regards to growing the game for field hockey and lacrosse for African-American, Latino and inner city kids. Started and then stopped primarily for about maybe five years. And my Can I jump in real quick? What a phenomenal loss for our community, for the world to lose Kobe Bryant. And we felt it at that moment, but it was really right before the pandemic started and Black Lives Matter. There's so much going on. Like it took me a second when you were talking about him to remember, oh my God. He's not with us. We lost him. Yeah. But he got to see you. He got to see what you did. And obviously influenced your life. Yeah. Yeah. Kobe instilled so much. I saw his work ethic. He would make all the family watch tapes of Jordan. Like literally, I think I know every Jordan move there is to know man because of him. And he was notorious of, I am going to be the greatest. I'm going to out-train everyone. And that's exactly what he did. So I was able to then be up under that and then utilize that for my own fuel. Because he's like, you know, you're going to get hit. People are going to try to prevent you. Because even in the beginning of his career, there were many attempts that were preventing him from being the mamba that we know. 
And so it was all pretty much the mindset of utilize everything that you've experienced for your greater good to excel. You know, I came back home and utilized all those things, all those gems to my advantage. To Philly's advantage. Mm, thank you. <laughs> How did you evolve your organization into what it is today? Well, I'll tell you. So in 2013, we had a house fire. My mom was in it. She was in a coma for a month and a half. The I mean, that woman's had a difficult life. She Lost her sight. Life. And you know what's crazy? It was all for me. It was all for me to be in this place for the girls now. Mm, sacrifices. Um, she made a big sacrifice. And she said that one day mm. I was going out to ESPN to do an interview with the producers uh, in 2017. They were highlighting, you know, different parts of my family, my story. And I said to her, I said, well, mom, I said, well, what are you going to do when they interview you? And she said, I'm going to tell them the truth. And she's like, you know, you train a child in the way that they should go and they shall never depart. You know, that's biblical. And she said, Jazz, she said, I sacrificed it all for you. Mm. And she she said, I had a choice in this. She said, I could have fought this disease and prognosis. She said, and if I did that, she said, you would have never been raised by your grandparents. You would have never been in tune with the tools that they were supposed to provide you one-on-one. -on -one. And you would have never grown up in the area that you were and the level of empathy that you received from a young child to know about life experience. My sacrifice was for you. And that literally changed my whole perception in terms of like, why am I doing this? Not just because of her story, but because she did it so that I can then elevate other girls. You know, that was 2013 and you started this in 2002. So yeah, I was going to ask you, what's that timeline and what type mm -hmm. of obstacles did you face? Not necessarily necessarily personally, but just in trying to get this business established and the importance. And I'm sure you had pushback to think, can they play? Will they want to play? Like, what was that experience like for you? So when we revamped in 2013, it became very much grassroots. We had the scout and then we went into schools that ordinarily did not have programming. That's a part of our three tier programs. And it was difficult in the beginning because again, African-Americans, Latinos, and especially inner city children are not abreast of lacrosse and field. All they see is a stick and they're looking at you like, I'm not playing this. I'm going to do football, basketball, track, cheerleading, you know, the norms. I utilize my tools when I worked for marketing to really put the word out here. This is what these sports can do for you. It can garner you access in a way that traditional sports can't. And if you trust my background and my history, I can then assist your children in, in ways that will really give you the opportunity that exists out there. So how can people support your organization? You know, what can people do? Where should they go? How do people get involved? We, we love as much support, you know, volunteerism. You can go on our website, E-Y-E-K-O-N-Z-Sports.com. If I want to volunteer, do I get a cute skirt? Uh, yeah, yeah, the girl, you know, what's crazy. So the girls are like, half of the girls want to wear skirts and the other half are like, oh, we'll wear shorts. So yeah, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on and talking about this and your experience. And thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and and let's special. hope you get to spread your wings even more in the years to come. And we want to make sure more people know about this and how amazing it is. And the thing is, you know, your mom changed your life. And because of that, you're able to change so many girls who are oh now women's lives. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, today, honestly, you start them off playing sports, right? We have a quote in Icons. We just don't teach them the game. We prepare them for life. And today was a demonstration of 
watching these girls become the advocates and the next leaders of this world that we're creating. So the girls formed a mini Icons Legal Coalition inside of the, the lacrosse and field hockey teams. Um, a group of them got together and said, you know, we want to do something with regards to racial inequality and police brutality. And then we said, okay, well, we're going to do our own march. And then the girls in the last month, they've been working on reforms. And they have six different reforms that attack different racial incidents, police brutality. We were on the phone with Governor Rendell for two hours today because every day at 6 p.m. they get on a Zoom call and our coaches work with them. They've had policy workshops with other legislators to how to create reform and bills and amendments. And these girls, it's about 10 of them, they put it together and then they present it in front of Governor Rendell and he endorsed them today. That is exciting. It makes me think of the um, photos where we see sometimes like the little girls and they're participating in the protesting and they're like with their families and Mm -hmm. just from an early age, learning how to like make your voice your own, raise awareness. But it's amazing how sports really does that though. Like it gets people to rise up. Yeah, it does. I mean, when they first brought it to my attention, I was just like, okay, let's figure it out. And then they were proactive to the point where they were like, this is the Google Doc and send me the Google Doc. And I'm talking about middle school girls that were controlling the actual emails and sending information out and putting portals together and Zooms together. And I mean, they had statistical facts, laws and amendments to other bills. I would just sit back and I'm like, you all are geniuses. Like (laughs) Governor Rendell said today, he's like, I need each one of you to run for office. He's like, I'm just so impressed. I don't even know how to really sum up the words. He's like, I thought that, you know, it would be a couple sentences. We will talk about it, kind of filter. He said, you all have policies and laws and reforms that once we keep going through these processes, he's like, we're going to get this passed. And the fact that there was thoughtful action put behind all of those discussions, that's pretty cool. So everything that you just said, Justin, is true. My mom did this for me and, you know, the standing on my shoulders to do this for the world. I'm excited for sports to come back. I can't wait to talk to Tom again. Like, he was so cool and fun. And Coach Jazz, like, I can't wait for us to volunteer and watch a game. Yeah, I want to go to those games. That's what I was going to say. I can't wait to play sports. Like, I want to play I want to meet her people. athletes. Yes, yes. And I, I want to learn lacrosse and field hockey. I don't know nothing about it. And I, and I want a skirt. It's a skirt, though. Did oh, you hear it that? Is. It's a skirt. Yeah, those are shorts underneath that skirt. No, I remember I used to, like, tell my dad, what are you talking about? This is a it's not too short, it's a squirt. <laughs> <laughs> this is Rachel and and Justin, nice to meet you. <laughs> you said what? I was just letting people know this This is us. Get to know us. It's love and grit. This is oh, how. Yeah, no. That's a good way to end it and, and tell people that we'd love for them to rate our podcast or review it and tell yeah. their friends. And subscribe. I'm going to say something nice. (laughs) Rachel's like, you can only say something nice if you're going to review it. Listen, if you made it to the end of the show, you probably like us. Yeah, at least you learned something new. Act like you ain't learned something new. Act like I always learn something thanks to you guys. You're the best. Yeah, me too. Say it again. You're the best. Oh, thank you. Oh, he did. We'll see you guys soon. Yeah, y'all the best too. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.